those of you who are new to this ministry or just visiting, um, I want you to know we have really have an honor of being the sending church for Corey and Jessica Kirshner and their daughter Adeline to uh, Taiwan. Corey did his mission internship here. He also did, uh, um, he was part of our intern program um, many years ago, about 2008, I believe. Because that was the year I went up north and you came and did help do a vacation Bible school there. Corey's been associated with this ministry a long time, even going back to camps years and years ago. Um, but we are so honored to have him here, and uh, he, is, uh, he handles the Word of God very, very well. So please welcome Corey Kirshner. Thanks, Dale. Well, thank you for that introduction. Good morning, church. Let me try it again. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, for those of you who do know us and are familiar with us and our ministry, uh, it's good to be home. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see your smiling faces again. Good to see you all still serving the Lord uh, and reaching people here in Port Charlotte. Uh, for those of you who maybe I just met this morning uh, or haven't been able to get, get over and shake your hand yet, I hope I'm able to meet you. Uh, like Dale said, my, my wife and I uh, and our daughter, uh, we are the Kirshner family, and uh, we are missionaries sent out of Sunshine Baptist Church. You are our, our anchor uh, attached to the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are our sending force uh, to get us to be uh, where we need to get to go. And so God has called us to be church planters in the island of Taiwan, uh, and so we're planning on going. We've been gone for the last few years, uh, raising support throughout the uh, United States, raising monthly support, and uh, uh, God is good. Uh, we are about 85% fully funded, and we are about $600 away from our goal. And so uh, we are going to stay for one more conference season and leave for the field. Uh, we are praying about leaving in April. And so you would, you would pray with us that we'd be able to raise our last uh, small amount of of, of, uh, of support for our ministry uh, so that we're able to get over and get started with our veteran missionary uh, partners, John and April Flowers, whom we also support as a church. Uh, but it's good to be here. It's good to be with you guys. I'm glad you guys uh, had a good Thanksgiving. We did too. We were busy. We saw uh, my wife's par uh, part of the family at the beginning of the week in Georgia. They rented a cabin outside of Macon, and so we went up there and spent a couple of days with them and kind of had Thanksgiving with them. And then we came down to St. Petersburg, where my family lives, and we had uh, Thanksgiving all over again. So we've had a double portion of Thanksgiving this year, and we've had a great time with it. Uh, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord and continuing uh, to serve him. So let's do this. If you have your scriptures this morning, let's go to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 3. And I'm going to start with really uh, what I, something I've really learned uh, as we've been traveling on the road and as we've been serving the Lord in, in ministry for just a, you know, just a few years, but uh, but God has shown himself over and over again that it's true what it says in the book of Hebrews, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you've served the Lord uh, at, any, uh, at any amount of time, as you've been uh, called of, of his child, you've served him, uh, whether here in the local church, you've served him in your workplace, you know that without faith, it's impossible to please him, and that faith uh, is a large player in how we live with our God. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but uh, I've been guilty of it, and that is playing the, the if-only game. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the if-only game, but the if-only game kind of works like this. We say to ourselves, well, if only I had, then I could. I don't know if you, have you ever done that before? Ever, maybe I could be the only one who's ever played the if-only game, but the if-only game kind of goes like if I, if I had that, if I had this, if I had money, if I had my health, if I had... Uh, 
Uh, if I had more time, I could get this done, or I could accomplish this, or I can be involved in this. Or if I had more talent, or we play the if-only game, and we say we can't do something, we're limited to do something because we don't have something beforehand. Uh, we all have needs, absolutely. But I, what I want to kind of challenge you this morning before we get into our, our scripture is that I want you to help maybe help digest uh, our scripture this morning by listening through the lens of your greatest need. Whatever it is that you would fill that blank space with, if only I blank, whatever it is that your greatest need is this morning, I want you to listen to this message through the lens of your greatest need. And I hope that it will be a blessing to you this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we uh, open up our scriptures uh, and ask the Lord to bless our time together. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to open up the word of God and take just a few moments uh, to peek into the scriptures. And Father, I pray that as we do that, that your Holy Spirit would grip our hearts. Father, that you would use this word uh, of God, Father, to penetrate our hearts, to change us. Father, I pray that you would teach us something new, Father, if this be a familiar passage or not. Father, I pray that you would teach us something that would not just uh, go out with us and, and leave, but, Father, that it would change us so dramatically that we would leave this place different than we came in this morning. Father, I pray uh, that if there's someone here who has not already been changed by the word of God, the first time, by trusting you as, uh, by trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, that they would respond to the call of the gospel this morning, that they would uh, repent from their sins and that they would turn to you as their Lord and Savior, Father, knowing that you are the only way to God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, as you bring us new life through the scriptures this morning, I pray that we would be, uh, have hearts to hear, uh, and we would have ears to hear, uh, and that we would be transformed by your message this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 3. Uh, we're kind of coming up through uh, a transition period uh, in the time of the prophets in Old Testament history. Uh, but what we find here in chapter 3, uh, there's a little bit of a problem. Uh, the con let me give you the context uh, of, of 2 Kings chapter 3, and then we'll read into the passage. But the context here that we'll be reading into is that there are three kings uh, who have banded together to fight a common enemy. The common enemy that had banded against them were the ancient people of the Moabites. And so the Moabites were a warring people, and so these three kings got together to uh, enter into a battle to destroy the Moabites. But often, like things in life happen, things happen not according to plan. Have you ever had something like that? You tried to plan something out. Uh, they, they tried to rally their three forces. They thought, the three of us, we could surely take on this one army. Uh, and you try to get your ducks in a row. Have you ever had something happen where you try to plan everything out and it just doesn't work out the way it planned, right? And then, so that's what, what happens in Second Kings chapter 3. These three kings get together and, and they try to plan it out. We're going we're to defeat these, these Moabites. But instead of going into battle, something happens with their plans. They go astray and they begin to wander through the desert. And they begin to wander in the desert for seven days. They were not equipped uh, with their military force to be able to be gone this long. They were just going to go right into battle, but they got to end up taking a detour, and they started wandering in the desert for seven days, and they got to a point when they ran out of water. Their armies ran out of water. The livestock they had with them, they had no water, and so they're wandering in the desert, and they're, they're, on, the, 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 they're on the point where they're, they're not even fit to go into battle anymore. And so these three kings who thought we'd rally our three forces and really overwhelm the Moabites, 
they got to a point where they weren't even, the three armies together, because they were so dehydrated and so ill-equipped uh, physically for battle, that if they were to go into battle, they probably would lose. And what I want you to kind of take note of this morning uh, is really this. And if you're taking notes this morning, uh, and I hope that you are, write this down. The truth is, is that your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Let me say that again. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. And we're going to see that in, illustrated in our passage this morning, but keep that in the back of your mind. 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, we're going to begin in verse 9. All right, we have the context. Let's begin in verse 9. We read together. The Bible says, So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Those are the three kings, okay? And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of, the, of Moab. He says, What's going on? Did God gather all three of us in our armies to just hand us over to our enemy by making us wander in the desert? Verse 11 says, But Jehoshaphat, who is one of the kings, said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now at this point, it's, it's interesting for us to note that these three kings, at this point in their life, as history and, and the books of the Chronicles tell us, that these three kings, at this point in their life, none of them were serving God. Now that was a point in Israel's history where they would have a king who would serve the Lord, and then all of a sudden he would dip off, and he would go into idolatry, and then his son wouldn't serve the Lord, and so the kingdom's divided. And, and what happens, we got to get to this point in Israel's history that these three kings, one, one being of Judah, one being of Israel, one being of Eden, none of them were following after the Lord. None of them were serving the Lord. But now they're in trouble. And so what do they do? God, where are you? God, where are have you? Do you know anybody like that? Or have you ever been that person, right? Where things are going good and you walk away from God and then things are going bad and all of a sudden you're like, oh, where, where's God? What happened? And so that's exactly what happens in their life. They're in trouble, and they go looking for God. They go looking for the escape rope uh, of God's path. And they've heard of this guy named Elisha. Now, if you're not familiar with the prophets, Elisha was mentored by the mighty prophet Elijah. Elijah was known uh, for calling down fire uh, on Mount Carmel and consuming offerings in the time of drought and consuming priests, and, and, and he was... He was a, a, a very um, cantankerous kind of prophet. He was, he was up and down all the time. He was the guy that had, he had some incredible attitude where he would call out people uh, and then he'd all of a sudden he'd cop an attitude and he'd go run and hide in some cave. And, and so that was Elijah. And so Elisha was his, his, his kind of his disciple. And so Elisha kind of spent some years ministering with Elijah. Elijah uh, was caught up in chapter 2, with a, by a chariot of fire and a whirlwind, he went up to heaven. And so Elisha kind of took on his mantle, literally his robe, and uh, carried on his ministry of being a prophet, of one who would speak to the, the people uh, uh, as the Lord would speak to him. 
He was kind of God's mouthpiece, if you will, before the completion of scriptures. And so Elisha was on the scene here, and uh, uh, in, the, in the end of chapter 2, he's kind of in his rookie year of being a prophet, if you can say that. And in his rookie year, he's already done some amazing things, and the word's gotten out about Elisha. And so Elisha, in his rookie year, uh, he literally took uh, Elisha's mantle, and he slapped it on the Jordan River, and it spread open, and, and he was able to walk on dry land. That was one of the miracles that he did. Uh, chapter 2 also uh, uh, tells us of a point where he went into a city, uh, and the water source of that city had become polluted. It had become poisoned. And uh, so he called for uh, some salt water, and he literally spoke uh, to the water and said uh, the curse is going to be removed, and, uh, and it was. And so the water cleared up, and so he had spoken to the water source, and the polluted poison water became whole again. Uh, he was also the guy, if you're familiar with this one, this happened really early in his rookie year. He was walking out from the city, and a bunch of kids came up to him. And uh, uh, Elisha had a lot in common with Pastor Bales and with, and with, uh, with uh, 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 Brother... Uh, 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 not, 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 no, sorry, not Hardy. He's standing in the back guarding us. Eric, thank you, Eric. Man, I, all I could think of was Dennis, and I know it's not Dennis. Eric, he had a lot in common with Pastor Bills and Eric in that he was bald. Uh, and so as he, as he walked out of the city, a bunch of kids saw him, and they started making fun of him. And they said, well, keep going, Baldy. Come on, Baldy, you keep going. You keep walking over there, Baldy. And he got, he got kind of hot under the collar. And uh, literally, he, call, he called to the forest, and bears came out of the forest and ate the kids. I'm not, even, I'm not making this up. Like, this is in the Bible in chapter 2. So just be careful how you make fun of Eric or pastor. You never know how close they are with the Lord, and you never know how close you are to a forest, okay? And so that's what happened. And so he had done some of these things in his rookie year, gotten to a point where he was well-known in his community. And so one of the kings remembered that Elisha had uh, God's power on him. And they, they said, hey, listen, why don't we go see this guy, Elisha, uh, and see if he can talk to the Lord for us. And so they do that. And in verse 13 and 14, we see they get to Elisha and begin to request something of him. Look at verse 13. It says, And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What, do, what have I to do with thee? He kind of he says, what, what in the world are you doing seeing me? He says, get, to thee, to, to get thee to the prophets of thy father and the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. And so they, these three kings come up to Elisha and say, Elisha, we need your help. We need you to talk to God for us. And Elisha goes, what in the world are you guys coming to see me for? Everybody knows you don't serve God. Why don't you go back to your homeland and go call upon your prophets? They can go talk to God for you. Why are you coming to me? And so they go, well, no, 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 uh, don't, don't get angry, Elisha. Uh, we just need your help. We need you to talk to God for us because we know you're, you're the man. God's power is residing on you. And he, and he kind of cops an attitude. And he says, you know what, guys, if it, wasn't be, if it wasn't because I had some respect for Jehoshaphat, because Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat used to serve God, but he, he had kind of fallen away by this point in his, in his leadership. Because I, because I have respect for Jehoshaphat, 
I'll listen to you. If Jehoshaphat wasn't with you, I wouldn't want anything to do with you. And so he kind of gets up in their face a little bit and kind of cops an attitude. And uh, he probably learned that attitude from his mentor, Elijah, if you're familiar with Elijah's ministry. Uh, but he was, uh, he was the king of attitude. And so Elisha kind of uh, shows a little bit of attitude towards these kings. And so he grants their, their audience, and um, he gives them a command in verse 15. Verse 15 says, now bring me a minstrel. If you're familiar with a minstrel, uh, it is a, someone who can play an instrument, uh, probably a harpist at this point in time, uh, somebody who could play uh, the, the nice calming worship music. So I want you to do this. Go bring me somebody who can, who can play uh, some worship music. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came unto him. And so in verse 15, he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to go sit over here. You three kings, go get me some mood music. You ever been, you ever been kind of in one, of one of those moods where you just want to sit down and listen, listen to music and just kind of worship God? That's kind of the, the, the instrument he had, the, the, the kind of um, opportunity he, he had here. And so I don't know if you've ever been maybe in one of those uh, worship services where the worship was just great and, the, and you could tell that, the, that God's people were singing and God was here and God was in the music and uh, it, it can lead you uh, into a readiness to hear from God. And so that's what he did. He called for some mute music, began to play a lot like probably what you would picture with David, how he would play uh, to soothe King Saul's uh, a troubled soul. And so here's the guys playing music uh, and they're all listening. Uh, the kings are there listening, probably worshiping. Maybe they're, maybe they're lifting up their hands. Maybe they're praying. Maybe they're singing. Uh, and they're having kind of like this worship experience, if you will. And then all of a sudden, the word of the Lord speaks to Elisha. And Elisha gets a word from the Lord. In verse 16, here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, and he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. That's the word of the Lord. They're having this, this worship experience. The Lord tells, tells Elisha, tell those kings to go dig some ditches. How would you like that word of the Lord from, from God, huh? God, we need your help. Go dig a ditch. It, it, to me, I, like, my grandpa used to use like that as like, that's like you can either go to college or you can go dig ditches. Like that was like the last thing people wanted to do, right? And so he, that's how God speaks to them. They're having this awesome worship experience, and God says, go dig some ditches. And so Elisha transfers that word and tells the, tells the kings, hey, guys, you need to take your, your, your armies and as you're already out in the desert, during this severe drought, your, your army is dying because they have no water. Tell them to roll up their sleeves, take their swords, take their shovels, and start digging in the desert. And that, that's, that's what happens. So th these, these kings are told to get their army, who is already almost about to die from heat exhaustion and, and, uh, and, and not having enough water, malnutrition, wandering around the, in the desert for seven days, Go do some hard manual labor in the heat of the desert sun in the middle of this severe drought that they're having. That's what the word of the Lord says. Let's look on to verse 17. Verse 17 says, For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see any rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. So he says, guys, here's what I want you to do. You're expecting me to work this way. 
you're expecting me to somehow just open up the windows of heaven and pour out this huge flood of rain that would fill up all your canteens and your buckets and water the ground and and your animals and everyone would have plenty to drink. But I'm going to do this way. You're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain. You're not going to see clouds in the sky. But you're going to have water. But I want you, in the middle of your turmoil, to go dig some ditches. And also... You're going to win. You're going to beat the Moabites, by the way. And uh, at verse 18, I love how it says in verse 18, it says, this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. This is just a little thing. Giving you water in the middle of the desert, that's just a little thing in God's eyes. Giving you victory over the Moabites, that's just a little thing, a light thing in the eyes of God. You know, Here's here's the truth that I want us to kind of pull from the scripture this morning. The truth is this. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Only God can send the water that you need for your greatest need, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Recall James chapter 2. James is having this discussion about faith and works. And he comes to this conclusion in verses 2, verse 26. He says, faith without works is dead. That faith is dead without the works of faith. It was as if God was saying, you show me your faith by digging ditches that I'm going to water, and I will show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness. Over and over and over, we see that in the gospel. When Jesus was walking as as God in the flesh, it says often that Jesus saw their faith, that he saw his faith, that he saw their faith, and then he did something. Often, God wants us to participate in his miraculous things. The examples we see in the gospel, gospel over and over again, there was a man with a withered hand. And so Jesus could have walked up and went, went uh, boom, you're good, you're good to go, right? But he didn't. If you recall the, recall the scripture of the man with the withered hand, Jesus walked up to him and he said, I want you to display your faith to me by taking your hand you've never been able to use and stretching it forth. And when the man did, his, man, his hand became whole. We see again in scripture, we see the lame man who was laying down and Jesus could have went, um, sprinkle some fairy dust, you're healed, right? Get up. Well, he didn't. What he did, he said, unto your faith be it unto you. Roll up your bed, take it up, and walk. And that's what the lame man did. Jesus said, show me your faith that you have in God by getting up. You're lame. You've never walked before. You've never done this before. Get up. No, don't just get up. Bend over. Roll up your bed and go on your way. This man shows his faith. He shows his faith. God shows his faithfulness. He gets up, rolls up his bed, and walks away. A lame man who's never walked before. We see a, a blind man, and Jesus does something that's kind of like kind of gross, but he spits in the dirt, he makes clay, and he rubs his spitty dirt all over the guy's eyes, right? You don't want to be that guy, but he, he does it, and then he says, uh, you're, boom, you're healed. No, that's not what happened. He says, unto your faith be it unto you, I want you as a blind man to go find the pool of Siloam and go wash that dirt out of your eyes. And so the blind man, in faith, went with all the mud on his face, washed his face, and he began, and he came out seeing. 
Often and times again, we see God doing the miraculous, but he's waiting on our part of it. Because only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you and I to dig a dish. Sometimes he wants us to show our faith. There are too many people, I believe, who are waiting for God to show them their faithfulness, but they have not yet shown God any of their faith towards him. Maybe they want to quit smoking. Maybe what they need to do instead of stop praying and asking God to change them, maybe they need to show their faith and just throw those cigarettes away. Maybe if you want a relationship healed, maybe instead of asking God to do it all, maybe you need the one to extend forgiveness first. Show your faith and God will show you his faithfulness in your relationship. Maybe if you want God to get a hold of your kids, instead of, staying, instead of praying, God, do it, do it, do it, do it, Maybe you need to be the one to bring them to church. Maybe you need to be the one to crack open the word of God in your own home or to gather your kids around and say, we're going to pray together as a family. Maybe you need to show God your faith and show your kids your faith or your grandkids your faith, and God will show you his faithfulness in their lives. Maybe you want more blessings. You say, God, I need more blessings financially. Things are getting tight, but you don't tithe. Let me just challenge you. God has already given us an incredible challenge and promise in his word. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give unto you if you tithe, if you are faithful with what is belonging already to God. You are here, and you're, maybe there's some people here, and hopefully there are some people here, but there are people here who are already tithing. I want to see if I can get an amen with this statement. Those of you who are tithing, you know the supernatural power of God that living on 90% with God's blessings, is go, it goes way farther than 100% without them. Can I get an amen, those of you who are? It's the truth. I can tell you from the testing from our own life that living on 90% with God's blessings goes farther than 100% without them. You want God's blessings on your life? Then you need to do what his word says. Show them your faith. Tithe. Give to missions. You will see God keeping his faithfulness to you. What are you doing about it? What are you doing when you do these things? What are you doing when you throw away those smokes? What are you doing when you forgive first? What are you doing when you lead your kids? What are you doing when you tithe? You're digging a ditch. You're digging a ditch, and you're asking God to send the rain. I knew guys in college that they prayed, Dear God, would you just you send me a wife? I want a godly wife that will, that will do ministry with me, go to the mission field with me, go serve in ministry. I'll be a pastor's wife. And, and then they're, they're at home sitting on their butts, and, and they're, they're, they're playing video games, and they're watching TV, and they're just waiting. They're saying, praying, God, God, bring me a wife. And I don't know what they're expecting, but maybe they're just expecting, you know, uh, ding-dong at the door, and they open the door, and there's a smoking hot babe with a Bible in her arm. and say, take me to church, you big loser, before you lose me forever. And I don't know what they're expecting, but... But, but they're literally sitting there, and they're watching TV, and, 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 and I think God just wants to say to them, hey, listen, guys, uh, maybe you need to go brush your teeth. Maybe you need to iron your shirt or get up off the couch and go get a job and, and, and serve the Lord. Be a leader in your local church and, and teach or, or do what God's given to you, and then I will show you my faithfulness. Dig a ditch and wait for the rain. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you and I to just show our faith and dig a ditch. I believe that real faith believes big, if you're taking notes. Real faith believes big, but it's willing to start small. Real faith believes big, but it's willing to start small. Some Christians just aren't thinking big in church, and I think for the kingdom of God, we need to be people who dream big and act big, 
for, for, for God to do big things among us. And in this church, we need to be people with big vision and big passion. But we need to also be people who will act small by taking the single step of faith that it all starts from. Sometimes we just need to get started by starting small. There's a guy by the name of Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz grew up poor. Howard Schultz was a Jewish kid growing up in Brooklyn, and he lived in the housing projects in Brooklyn. Uh, Howard Schultz's parents weren't very rich. His dad drove a truck, uh, and he didn't really have a whole lot of uh, money, and he always dreamed of, of, of getting out, getting on the other side of the fence of his housing project and, and doing something with his life and, and kind of pursuing the American dream. And Howard Schultz, uh, he, got a, he, he didn't like to spend a whole lot of time in the house, so he got out of the house, he went down to the local boys and girls club, uh, he had some people loving on him there, and, and taught, him, uh, taught him a sport, and he began to excel really, really well in sports, so he played in the middle school, he played in high school, finally he got so good that he actually got to, he got to go to college, and uh, his parents couldn't pay for college, he couldn't pay for college, uh, but he got a full ride to college by playing a sport, and so he began to play sports, and so he went and he got a communications and a business degree, and he was the first person in his family to ever uh, uh, to go to college. And so Howard Schultz got his first job at Xerox. Uh, I don't know if you remember that company or not, but Xerox. Uh, uh, he was a salesman. He was a good salesman. Uh, and so he worked for them for a while, and then he worked for a, a little dr uh, drip company. It was, uh, I think, a, um, from, from Europe, uh, a coffee company. And so he, he was there, and he was working them, for them as a salesman. And he, he began to fall in love with this little coffee shop uh, that he'd go to often. They would, they'd be, they would order a lot of stuff, and so he'd go in there, and he'd, he'd encourage them. And he just kind of fell in love with this, with this little local coffee shop. Uh, and he took a risk. He took a small step uh, of what he thought was faith, and that he, uh, he borrowed some money. He borrowed $100,000 from a friend who was a doctor who loved his passion to sell, to sell. And he borrowed another three hundred thousand uh, from uh, the bank, and uh, with a total of four hundred thousand dollars, he bought uh, his first coffee shop. And now, in 2016, uh, we all drink there from their holiday cups. It's Starbucks. And uh, this little Jewish kid uh, from the from Brooklyn uh, took a step of faith, uh, and he's now uh, worth uh, his company's worth over three billion dollars. Some of you, you just need to dig a ditch. Look at verse 20. We're going we're gonna to finish. Verse 20 says this. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. These guys, they were only given one instruction. Go dig a ditch and wait for God to show his faithfulness towards your faith. And by the next day, by the time of the offering, water had, flown, had, had, had flowed over the top of where they had dug those ditches, and they had enough water for everyone to drink. They went forward, if you read the rest of the chapter, and they won the battle against the Moabites. God was faithful, but all they had to do was show their faith and start small. You know, I don't know what your spiritual condition is like this this morning, but there's really only two groups of people in here. The Word of God makes it very clear that there are those of us who have already trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those of us who have already have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith. We're the children of God.
But there's another group of people that may be in here. You've never had a time in your life when you've ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never had a time when you've bowed your head and you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of our sins, to, be, uh, to come into your, to your life, to save you, to change you. You've never, by grace, through faith, trusted in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for you, how he raised from the grave. You, the Bible says, are an enemy of God. But God has already demonstrated his faithfulness by taking one step towards you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. See, the truth of the matter is that the scripture reveals to us that over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only begotten son in the form of man who was 100% man and 100% God. They named him Jesus. We're going to celebrate his birth in just this coming month. But Jesus wasn't just a fairy tale. He was a real man who grew up. He lived a real life. The Bible said that he lived an entire life without sinning once. He never broke God's law one time, and he did it because he was God in the flesh. And he didn't, but he went to a cross. The Bible says that he, he went to a cross, a Roman cross, and he was there, uh, he was nailed to a cross, and, and he was murdered. And the Bible says that when he was on the cross, God allowed him to be on that cross because it was God's plan for him to be on that cross, that as he was on that cross, God took all the sin of all the things that we've said, done, or, or thought that has broken God's laws, God has taken all that sin and placed it upon Jesus' shoulders. And, that Je- and he, that he, he declared Jesus guilty for your sin and for my sin. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That every sin that is committed must be paid for. So God took the sin of the whole entire world and put it on Jesus. And when Jesus died, he paid for the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. But he didn't stay dead. The Bible says that he was in the grave three days and on the third day it rose again from the grave. And when he did that, God saw Jesus as what the Bible calls a propitiation. It's a wrath-bearing sacrifice. That is a sacrifice, uh, things in the Old Testament, lambs to cover sin. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice to cover sin for the future. And Jesus, uh, in the form of man, by God's will, took a step forward to mankind, paid the penalty for our sin. And now God is waiting on you to trust in faith that what Jesus did on the cross and as he rose from the grave really happened. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that, God, uh, that, that, that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that he rose from the grave, the Bible says if you believe those things and confess those things, you will be saved. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's come to you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to offer you an opportunity to respond as time is waning on.